All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Irmo. It's good to see y'all. If you will stand and join us, we are looking forward to getting into worship and the word. So it's good to see your faces here. Good to see some some old faces and new faces. My good friend Doug from back in the day just showed up. So we're praising God for that. I know I'm 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 pointing out. I'm sorry, but <laughs> but I love worshiping with y'all. I hope you're ready to lift your voices. So we're gonna turn this service over to God and get going. So God, we thank you for bringing he, us here. Thank you for the good purposes that you have for us. God, that, that you don't wake up with us surprised. <laughs> when we wake up, you already have plans. And so we just want to start every day with the expectation that you are going to meet us, that we're going to encounter you, and that we're going to see you do great things. So we just thank you for that. We put ourselves and our lives in your hands, trusting you with all of it. So we give you this time. We give you our hearts. We give you free reign to do what you want to do in us this morning, dear God. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, he is the God of great things. So we're going to sing it out. We're going to worship him. Just worship him with us. So come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has the great thing. See what He's done. See what the Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has the great thing. Yes, He has. He has the great Hey, hey, hey. 
it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. Sing hallelujah. Please be seated for just a moment. We welcome each and every one of you to Calvary Chapel. Irma, we're so glad you're here today. If you happen to be with us for the first time today, a very special welcome to you. Just ask you to make yourself at home. You're in the house of the Lord. Uh, for our first-time visitors, if we have any in the card pocket in front of you, you will notice a visitor's connection card. We just ask you to take a moment and fill that out and drop it in the offering box at the back table. And we just love to have a record of your attendance. And also know, very important, if you have a prayer request, a prayer in need of any kind, uh, fill out that prayer request and drop that in the offering box, and we will make it a point to lift you up before the Lord. It is our privilege to pray for you. Uh, each Sunday morning, we are meeting for prayer time in the high school student ministry room. We do meet at 930. Uh, we'd love for you to come out and join us for that as we pray for the needs of our church body. We do pray for each other and all of our needs and, of course, we pray for our nation as well. Each Wednesdays at 7, we are meeting for uh, Bible study. We have individual studies for men and for women and for students, and we have children's classes also. We have returned to the great book of Psalms. We're doing book 2, which is chapters 42 to 72. It's a really good study. So if you have not been out with us, please come out and join us. I think you'll love it. Of course, we don't pass the offering plate here at Calvary Chapel. You may give before or after the service at the back table, and you can also give online at ccermo.com. Second Chronicles 31.5 says, As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine. 
oil and honey and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And finally, ladies, you are invited to the Freedom in Christ Women's Conference on Saturday, July 1st. The time is from 9 till 3, and that's being held at the Calvary Chapel in Aiken, just a short drive away. You may register if you'd like to go at ccaiken.org. And if you do plan to go, just please let know, uh, Irene Ford know that you plan to attend. Okay, folks, that should do it for all the announcements. Please take a moment and stand up and say hi to your neighbor. His story that he's weaving in our lives. He is faithful and true. All throughout my history, your faithfulness has walked beside me. The winter storms made way for spring. In every season, from where I'm standing, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life, all over my life. I see your promises, I see your promises in fulfillment all over my life, all over my Come to fear will leave 
the evidence. I see the evidence of goodness all over my life, all over my life. Promises are true. I see promises in fulfillment all over my life, all over my life. We do see the evidence of you in our lives. God, and in the end, we don't follow you because of what you do or even have done for us. We follow you because of who you are, that you are our God, that you love us. And so God, this morning we declare our love for you one true and good God. You gave your life for mine, nailed to the cross, you crucified. All my sin and shame was washed by your mercy. You're my treasure, you are the treasure I find. My reason for living let my life come and offering to the one who is worthy. Won't sing it out, all praise to the Lord. And all praise to the Lord most high. And all praise to the one who saved my life. All praise to Jesus Christ, high King of heaven. King forever. Oh, oh, oh. Will you storm the gates of my heart? You storm the gates of my heart. Well, in between was torn apart. You hold the keys to the grave. Because oh, you bring things to life. You roll stones away.
lifting our hands is the, the universal sign of surrender. <laughs> and no matter where you go, you feel like you're in danger and you want to be saved you lift your hands up you show that there's there's nothing there there's nothing you're holding on to and you at least have a chance that the other person realizes oh okay you're you're not a threat I'll leave you alone but when when it comes to us and God he, he's not after us he's not trying to get us but he does look for hearts that are, are yielded and fully surrendered to him. And there, there is no, no judgment or condemnation here at all. I, I know some of us, it's like that, that just freaks us out, the idea of raising our hands. That's one of those places where it, it has this way of breaking things inside of us when we will raise our hands and surrender and just say, God, I. I'm not holding on to anything and I'm not holding any part of me back that I'm raising my hands in surrender in full surrender to you. So again, there, there is no pressure here and no judgment at all. <laughs> We're gonna sing that one more time. I lift my hands up, I lay my whole life down. And this is just an opportunity. It's just an opportunity if, if you have Maybe you never feel like you've really fully said that to God. You know, I surrender to you. I'm giving it all over. Maybe you just want to see, what would that be like to just, just give it all up and not care what anyone's thinking? Just to raise my hands before him. So we're going to sing it like one more time. I lift my hands up. I lay my whole life down. And once more declare that, Jesus, we're holding nothing back. We surrender it all to you surrender it all to you. Come on, let's sing. I lift my hands up, lay my life down. So I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down, my whole life down before you. I lift my hands up, lay my whole life down, my whole life now is for you. I lift my hands, so I lift my hands up, my whole life, my whole life for you. When I lift my hands, I lay my whole life, my whole life now is for you. Side. 
Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you for salvation in Christ. We thank you that you redeemed us, that you sought us out, and that you called us to yourself. And Lord, I just pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to continue as I have felt his presence and his power through worship. I pray that we continue that, Father, that ministry as we study your word. Lord, we love you and praise you for us in the mighty, awesome, victorious, wonderful, exalted name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, you may have a seat. Our children are dismissed to Children's Church if they would like to go to Children's Church. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and my brother Andy's got a Bible for you. <clears throat> Great to see everyone this morning. Uh, last November, we began our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, verse by verse. And this morning, we come to Matthew chapter 18. And folks, you are in for an awesome study. When you break these verses down and you look closely at it, it is just amazing. So please turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, but we're going to study verses uh, 1 through 20. Amen? So let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, thank you for your word as we study it this morning. Father, bring it to life, God. Bring, bring, it, bring it forward, Father, 2,000 years ago from when you spoke it through your word into our hearts. So, Lord, we love you and praise you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the title of my message this morning is Being Great in the Kingdom of Heaven. Being Great in the Kingdom of Heaven. And just by way of introduction, who in your life 
has been great in the kingdom of heaven in inspiring you to serve the Lord? Who has had the greatest impact on you? Think about that for a second. Think about that for a minute. You know, I like to think about it as in, in, in the realm of uh, teachers, well-respected teachers that have had an impact on my life, and also like to think about the people in my life. And on the national level, I think the greatest preacher that's had the greatest impact on my life is Ray Comfort from Living Waters. I love Ray Comfort. I love Living Waters. I love Way of the Master. And it is just so revolutionized in my teaching ministry. Whenever I want to go and listen to some good, solid Bible teaching, some good apologetics, I go to Ray Comfort. I'm very thankful for him. And then at the local level, you know, within my family, it's a toss-up. It's a toss-up between my grandfather and my wife. Those two have made a huge impact on my life and my walk with the Lord. All the many years as a, as a little rebel sinner running around my grandparents' house and watching my grandparents faithfully serve Christ throughout their whole life. And every night at 10 o'clock, I'd be in bed on the other side of the house and I would hear my grandfather belting out the prayer bedside, calling upon the name of the Lord every single night. And so he had a huge impact on my life. And then, of course, in the uh, past 25 years, we just went over um, in our wedding, our, our, the number of years we've been married, we just uh, surpassed over half of our life we have been together celebrating over 25 years together, but Irene has had a huge impact on my life. The encouragement that she has given me over the years, the times where I felt like, man, I'm done. I'm fish. I'm fried. I'm, I can't do no more. It's my wife that's there pushing me, so I'm very thankful for my beautiful bride. But uh, so what, what does it mean to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Is it, is it popularity? Is it being famous? No, it's not popularity or being famous. In, in, in this world to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is going to tell us here, it is anybody that is completely committed to Christ. And the two people I just mentioned, they are completely committed to Christ and they have inspired me to be completely committed to Christ. So what I want to do this morning, I want us to take a look at this passage and let's look and examine ourselves and ask ourselves, am I great in the kingdom of heaven? Who is great around me in the kingdom of heaven? And what I've done in, in verses 1 through 20 is I pulled four principles of, of being great in the kingdom of heaven. And I'll park at each one of those for a little bit and we'll talk about what it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And, and I'll, um, I'll, I'll reiterate them at the very end for you to, for you to have take-home notes. So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I can just imagine this question. The disciples and Jesus are going along, and the disciples say, Hey, Jesus, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's really just a simple question, but I can't help but to think if there's not just a little bit of competition going on between the disciples. You know, because they think prior to his crucifixion, they, they're thinking Jesus is going to come in and set up his kingdom. He's going to uh, dethrone uh, Rome. He's going to establish his kingdom. And they're going to be surrounded. So I can't help but to think if there's not some jockeying going on amongst the disciples, who is going to be great? So Jesus is going to set them straight. You know, they're probably waiting for Jesus to say, uh, Matthew, you come here. John, you come here. Or, or Peter, you come here. There, it's probably some, some kind of scene like that. But what does Jesus do? He brings this little child. He brings this, this little, little child in the midst of them. And he says, this 
is who is great in the kingdom. And he's going to give them an illustration. Look at verse 2. Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as the little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is telling these grown men, okay, these adults, these disciples, there were men and women followers of Christ in his earthly ministry. He's telling these adults that you've got to become like this child. Now, what does he mean, become like this little child? He says in that verse, he says, you must be converted. Now, what's he talking about converted? Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, he said, you must be born again. Okay, so the first principle I present to you this morning, the first step in being great in the kingdom of heaven is that you must be born again. You must be born again. This is the foundation, okay? This is the foundation of everything else, of being great and being useful in the kingdom of God. And being born again is when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and makes you a new creation. You say, Pastor David, how can I know that I'm born again? How can I know that? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you invited him to come into your life? And in that process said, God, I am sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. I turn away from the old life and I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. If you've done that, then you have been born again. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're born again by you being connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's taken that dead corpse inside of you, that dead spiritual life, and he's brought it to life. The Holy Spirit is dwelling on the inside, okay? So that's the foundation of being great in the kingdom of heaven. It's not about being religious or being famous or being popular. You can be a restaurant owner. You can be a landscaper. You can, you can be a stay-at-home mom, and you can be great in the kingdom because you're born again and the impact that you are going to have on people's lives. So that's the first one. Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. All right, so the first step is you're born again. Okay? Then it's time to take the next step up. And with being born again, according to verse 4, you, 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 you come to the second principle, which is you have childlike faith. You have childlike faith. Remember, Jesus has got the little child in front of him. He's talking to his disciples, and he, he's saying, you've got to have childlike faith. Now, what does childlike faith look like? Childlike faith is, is simply, um, it's simple faith, and it's humble faith. That's what childlike faith is. You know, Pastor Dave, what is childlike faith? It's simple faith. And it's humble faith. It's simple faith in that we accept everything that God says in his word as truth. And we follow his instructions. Just like a little child. When a little child hears mommy or daddy say something, for the most part, for the most part, they follow mom and dad's instructions. You know, they're, 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 our, they're our little echo chambers. They're, they follow us and they do as we say. That's because they are mirroring. They, they've taken what you said as truth, and they are following it. And so you and I should do the same thing. Jesus said in John 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as a Christian with humble, childlike faith, you accept God's word as truth, and you follow it. We do not twist it. We do not ignore it. 
We do not resist God's word. We receive it as truth and love it. Listen to what Jesus' half-brother said later on in the New Testament. In James chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So we as Christians, we receive the word of God. We hold to the word of God and we follow the word of God because it's God's word. It's his word to us. And we have childlike faith in following it. And it's humble. I said, I said simple faith and humble faith. Humble faith is completely dependent on God for everything. And anybody that's raised children know that your children are completely dependent upon you to raise them and take care of them. And so it is the same way with our relationship with God that our humble faith, we say, Lord, I'm trusting you for everything. I'm trusting you and I'm having faith for the future. I'm having faith in future for my life and for everything. So it's a simple faith and a humble faith. So number one, you must be born again. Number two, you gotta have childlike faith. Let's continue, verse five. He says, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Verse seven, woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man whom the offenses come. Now, verse five through seven is a very serious warning that the world needs to heed. Verses five through seven is a severe warning to anyone who would lead children or young Christians away from Jesus or cause people to rebel against God's word, to lead a child or any person for that matter into sin is very serious in God's eyes. It just so happens I sat down this week and I was thumbing through the channels and I came across Netflix and there's a documentary right now about, um, about a, a famous church in the world today and they were, they're, they're, it's, it's, it's all mired in financial scandal and all kind of abuse and all this crazy stuff going on. But one of the things that the documentary highlighted was that some of the leaders were texting some of the teenage females in the youth group. And they were developing relationships with them. And they were asking them to send them inappropriate images and pornographic photos of themselves. That is a very dangerous place to be. That is a various, very dangerous place to be. A very sinful place to be. To be in a situation like that. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, um, he, Jesus uses the word woe twice. That word woe in verse 7 is, is really it's an exclamation of judgment. Jesus is saying, if you do this, if you cause people to sin, if you cause people to, to, you pull people away from God, you better brace yourself. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying here, you better brace yourself. For someone to lead others to sin, they are inviting God's harshest, severe judgment on themselves if they do not repent. So it's very serious. God takes 
the tempting of little children and people that are vulnerable and uh, young and new believers for somebody to come in and try to deceive them or draw them away in sin or heaven forbid, do something immoral with them, they are inviting God's strictest, most severe judgment. That's what he's saying. In other words, what he's saying here is at the beginning of, uh, actually halfway through verse six, notice it says, it would be better in verse six but whoever calls one of these little ones to leave me, that phrase, it would be better. Um, he's basically saying on, on, on judgment day, you will, they will have wished that they were taken back into this world, taken out into the Atlantic Ocean. A millstone back in Bible times was two to 400 pounds. It was a stone that they would use. Have that stone tied around your neck and yanked to the bottom of the ocean, which I don't know about you, but that's pretty horrifying to me. That's scary. I, I, I fish a lot. And the thought of sinking, you know, you go down five to ten feet, and it's, it's very painful to go down even further, man. Whew. But, but Jesus, that's what Jesus is saying here. It would be, it would be better that you be cast into the, uh, the ocean with a millstone around your neck than cause someone, uh, entice someone to sin. Let's continue. Verse 8. Verse 8. Um, he says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame and maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Verse 9, because it goes with that same thought. I want to grab both of these. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. I pull my third principle of being great in the kingdom of heaven from verses 8 and 9. And the principle that you pull from these verses is being great in the kingdom of heaven means you understand the importance of sanctification. Pastor David, what is sanctification? The Christian life can be described in three phases. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification takes place when you repent and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are justified instantly, completely, saved, born again, locked. You're going to heaven. But then you enter into the process of what we call sanctification. Sanctification is just a big theological word. It means growing. It means being set apart. It means you began this journey with Christ and you began to grow. Now, I don't know about you, but when I came into my Christianity, I didn't have it all together, okay? I had issues. I had sin in my life that I had to deal with, okay? And it's in this process of sanctification that God expects us to grow, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't demand perfection because perfection is impossible, but he expects us to grow. He expects us to grow in our faith, and when it comes to sin and temptation in our life, when he says here, uh, cut, cut your hand and feet off, gouge your eyes out, basically what he's saying here is you need to repent, fight, resist, and clean house, get accountability, get things right with God. You know, take the war to the flesh, fight, fight as a good Christian soldier. Now, Hold on now. I don't want nobody coming in here next Sunday with no eye patches, okay? I don't want you going out this week 
and going to your local doctor and saying, my pastor said that I, got, I was supposed to gouge my eye out. Please don't do that. And don't cut, your, don't cut your feet and hands off. Is God saying we are to literally amputate our hands and feet or gouge our eyes out if they cause us to sin? And the answer is no. You're like, praise the Lord. No. Jesus is teaching here through hyperbole. He's teaching through hyperbole. He's saying this, do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to grow in Christ. Fight the good fight. You can win the battle, okay? Each one of you guys need to know that. You can win the battle through the Lord Jesus Christ by continuing in the word, continuing in fellowship, continuing in the faith, and and surrendering your life to Christ. He will cause you to grow. And this is the cool thing about it. The Holy Spirit will do it in us as we surrender and we submit to him. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He says this. This is the apostle. Wrote most of the New Testament. He says this. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should, be, should become disqualified. So Paul is basically saying, when you become a believer, there's action required. Okay? There's action required. You've entered into the army. You know, when you join the army, you join the military service, you just don't get, you just don't get assigned to a, a military unit. You've got to go through basic training. You've got to go through A school. You've got to go through all this training. It's the same with the Lord. You've got to enter into basic training. You've got to learn how to take up your arsenal. You've got to learn how to win the fight. Okay, there's action required. We've got to put our hands to the plow. Uh, Paul would also go on to say in 1 Timothy Chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, here it is, the key word, the word is discipline. Discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. How many of you guys have a workout routine? How many of you guys have a workout routine? I see a couple of hands out there. Okay. Well, me and my son, we are, we are working on a workout routine. We're checking out Orange Theory and some other places in Lexington. And we're going to work out. But if you want to get in shape, you got to have a schedule. Okay? you got to have a schedule. you got to have a routine. You can't just think about getting in shape and uh, it just happens automatically. It doesn't work that way. you actually got to go to the gym you got to get on the treadmill. you got to lift the weights. you got to follow those instructors and do everything they say. Well, it's the same with your walk with Christ, okay? you got to go to the gym, okay? you got to get in. The, you do what you're doing right now. Right now, guys, you're in, you're in God's fitness center. Do you know that? You're, you're at the gym this morning. But we're not exercising your physical muscles. We're exercising your spiritual muscles. We're growing your heart in grace. And you got to get into the gym of church fellowship. Get into the gym of God's word. you got to have discipline. you got to have a routine. We discipline ourselves. The key word uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, the purpose of verses 8 and 9, growing, getting the sin out of our life. We discipline ourselves by, number one, do not place yourself in a situation to be tempted. If you know there's an area of your life that you struggle with 
Don't go to that place in this world where it will tempt you. That's principle number one. Number two, second way you discipline yourself, you get into the gym, you get the boxing gloves on, is you fill your heart and mind with the word of God, okay? You've got to eat this word. You've got to soak in this word. You've got to grow in this word. You've got to fill your heart and mind with this word. That is going to the gym. And guess what? It don't cost $99 a month. Like the gym they offer me, the gym membership they offer me, this, this fitness thing. It's free. Go to the gym. Prayer. You go into the gym when you start praying. You go to the gym when you're in fellowship. You go to the gym when you're trusting in God's grace, okay? When you trust in God's grace, you trust in his goodness, you trust in his mercy, you trust in his love, you understand that you're, un- you're no longer under the law, but you're under grace. And God understands where you're at, he understands your struggle, but he wants to grow you in sanctification and walk you out of the thing that you're facing. And here's the cool thing, family, the Bible says you can do it, okay? The Bible says to each of us, you can do it. What does Philippians 4.13 say? We, we love that verse about other areas, but let's talk about sanctification. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. You can go to the gym and you can get in good shape and you can discipline yourself and you can win the fight by going to the gym. So do whatever it takes. Verses 8 and 9. Uh, but don't cut your hands and feet off and don't gouge your eyes out. Don't, 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 don't go do that this week. That's not a good idea. But do whatever it takes to grow in your walk with Christ. Let's continue. Verse 10. He says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And here's verse 11. I put it on its own slide because I just want y'all to see that. I want y'all to see that because this is Jesus' mission statement. Maybe you're, you're, you're not a believer or you're a new Christian or, or whatever, but this is the mission of God. This is the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. The heart and mission of God is this. He came for you. He came for me. Jesus, in his omniscience, in his deity, he came into this world to save you and to have a personal, intimate relationship with him. He came to a world in despair. He came to a world uh, filled with depravity. He came to a world filled with sin. And he came to save us from sin, deception, and darkness. Uh, as I heard one preacher say one time, sin destroys life. Jesus saves it. Jesus saves it. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. We all come into this world you came into this world, I came into this world, the mailman came into this world as sinners. We have all broken God's commandments, and we all need a Savior. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ came. It wasn't to establish some political rule or, or, or some, some, uh, establish some kingdom or government or whatever. He came to establish a rule and reign over the hearts of believers who have been redeemed. That's his mission. Verse 12. Um, verse 12 says, what do you think? I like this little phrase right here at the beginning of verse 12. Jesus opens this, this next part up. He says, what do you think? Basically what he's saying here 
is what I'm fixing to say, I want you to think on it. What I'm fixing to say, I want you to ponder these thoughts of what I'm fixing to say. And look at it. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he would find it, surely I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Boy, there is so much here in, in these three verses. But number one, these verses right here, they demonstrate the value that God places on every soul. Do you know you're valuable in God's eyes? He holds you precious, that he would leave the 99 and come after you if you went astray. God holds every man, woman, and child, and all people, valuable, precious in his sight. This passage also clearly refers to Christ's love toward believers who have fallen away. A lot of times when people fall away from the Lord or they walk away from the Lord, they get it in their mind that God is angry with them. And it causes a lot of confusion. It causes a lot of doubt. It causes a lot of turmoil in their life. And they feel like they can go anywhere in this world except church. They feel like they can go anywhere in this world except back to God. Now, is that what this passage is saying? No. No. This clearly refers to Jesus' love towards the believer who has fallen away. Okay? It clearly shows his love and his compassion. He understands this world that we live in. He understands the deception that's flying by day and flying by night. He understands the difficulty and when a believer strays away, walks away, he desires compassion. He desires mercy. Now, he also um, commands repentance. Did they ask for forgiveness and they come back to him? But overall, his heart is love towards them. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we need to understand God's heart towards people who have fallen away. Now, I, I clearly believe verses 12 through 14, he's talking about Jesus, but what are we? What are we? Followers of who? We're followers of Jesus. So this brings me to my fourth principle this morning, based on what is saying about Jesus in verses 12 through 14, and that is this. Being great in the kingdom of heaven means you care for people. You care for people. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Care for those around you. Care for those around you in the church and outside the church. Believers and unbelievers. Show people that you care. You care for their relationship with Christ. You care for their well-being in this life. You know, it's, 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 it, it is all about Jesus, but it's also about their life and what's going on in their life and how you can help them. If you see someone falling away or going in the wrong direction, don't just watch them walk away. 
reach out to them in love with Christ's love. Who do you need to reach out to this week? Think about it. Who do we know in our life, in our sphere of influence, that just kind of drifted away? You know, it, it, a lot of times they're, they're one word away from coming back to Christ. They're one word of encouragement from coming back to church. And it's just, and, and they know that you know that they have fallen away, and, and they know that you know that they're not in fellowship, and they're feeling the guilt, they're feeling the condemnation, and all it, all it will take is your icebreaker. Hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, sister, how you doing? Miss you. Hey, what you got going on Wednesday? You want to come to church? Hey, we'd love to see you on Sunday. We're having a potluck dinner. We'd love for you to come out. And it's just things like that that we can use to reach out to people and, and reach out, to, especially to those who have fallen away. But most importantly, they need to understand that God loves them and God wants them to come back, just like the prodigal son. Amen? All right, let's, let's, let's dive into um, verse 15. Verse 15 is a wonderful passage. That if we will follow it, be, it would be great. It would be really, really great. Um, somebody, I've had people come up to me in the past and, and tell me about somebody else doing something wrong or sinful. And I'm like, don't come tell me. Don't come to the pastor. Why are you telling me? And I get it from this text right here. Let's talk about it. First, let's read verses 15 through 17 first. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So the fourth, I guess this could be, the, the, the principle here is we need to deal with sin biblically. Biblically. And when you do it biblically, it, it, it works out really nice. It works out really nice for both parties. So the first, first thing you do, according to verse 15, if, you, if a brother or sister or friend is living in sin, number one, you go and tell him his faults. And notice what it says there. Between you and him. Alone. My, the, the New King James, it says alone. Does your translation say alone? It says between you and him alone. If you really sincerely care about a brother or sister who's fallen away or is living in sin and you want to confront them, you do it between you and that individual and you do it alone. You don't come tell the pastor. You don't go tell nobody. You, you go to that individual alone, all by, to him. If you see a Christian living in sin, don't tell or text anyone. Don't post it to social media. And do not, I repeat, do not come and tell the pastor. Do what Jesus says. He says it right there in verse 15. Go to him privately or go to her privately. Then two, if, if, they're, still, if they're still not accepting it, you, verse 16, you take two or three witnesses. Then after you've taken two or three witnesses, you go and tell it to the church. You, you could go and present it privately to the leadership. But here's the key, because the key, this can be really tricky and very difficult and very hard when you're wanting to confront someone. 
or there's an issue with someone living in rebellion, remember this principle when it comes to talking to someone else about sin. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Brethren, if a man is overtaken by any trespasses, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, here it is, in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Again, we want to do it in a spirit of humility. We want to do it in a spirit of love. We're not trying to embarrass them. We're not trying to call them out. We're just going and saying, hey, Bob, you know, I've been thinking about this, and, you know, this is really not a good idea, and, you know, this is a sin against God, and I'm, I'm just really concerned that, that this is not a good place for you to be. Do it very gently. Do it very humbly. Our ultimate goal in confronting sin and church discipline is not to humiliate, not to embarrass, or not to make a public spectacle. It's always restoration. It's always restoration and repentance. Back in... Um, about 1993, about two years after I became a believer, I was having a, a relationship. I was in a dating relationship, and I was unequally yoked. I was unequally yoked. And a brother, a friend of mine, I'm not going to say his name, but he came to me, and he confronted me, and he did it privately. And he said, dude, you're unequally yoked. She's not... She's not She's not the right person for you, and she's dragging you down, and you don't need to be in that relationship. You know something? That guy became my best friend because he did it in a spirit of humility and a spirit of love. He didn't come at me attacking me. He said, you know, you really need to think about that relationship. And I got to thinking about it, and I got to thinking about the whole dynamic of it, and I was like, you know what, Joe, you're right. I shouldn't be. And that guy became my best friend. That guy spoke truth into my life, but he did it in a spirit of love and a spirit of kindness, and I accepted it. So that's always our heart when we see our brother or sister in sin, is we do it biblically, privately, and we always want to bring them to restoration. Amen? Let's, let's wrap this up. Verses 18 and 19. Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You know, when believers are in unity and things are done biblically in alignment with Scripture, Jesus is basically saying here in this text, I stand behind it. And Jesus stands behind it because Jesus stands behind his word. Because Jesus gave us his word. His word is his voice to us. It's his letter of instruction to us. So he stands behind it, whether it's bound or loosed. Uh, verse 19, again I say to you that if two that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For I love this verse. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. How cool. I love this Bible verse. I've heard it quoted for over 30 years as a believer. But it's a, it's a beautiful truth, family, that wherever Christians are present, and wherever God's word is honored, Jesus is there. The Lord Jesus Christ, by his spirit, is there. William Barclay says this about this verse. Jesus is just as much present in the little congregation as he is in the great massive meeting. He is not a slave to numbers. 
you know, large numbers of believers is not required for Jesus' presence. Cathedrals and steeples are not required for Jesus' presence. The time and location is not important and not required for Jesus' presence. It's where his believers are gathered. Think about that, guys. Right now, we just see this physical room. You know, we see these blue chairs and this carpet, and I see all your beautiful faces. But in the spirit realm, by his spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ is here. He's here in our midst. And we say, thank you, Lord, for being in, in, in our fellowship, for being in our presence. He's here. And he's, he's waiting on us to, to open our hearts and say, Lord, come in, have free rule, free, free rule and, and reign in my life. Open your heart to him today because he is here where two or more are gathered in my name. I am there in their midst. Now he's with us individually. He's, he, he's with us individually by his Holy Spirit. He's dwelling on the inside of us. But there's also a special presence of God in our midst. There's an old Latin phrase. You ever heard the phrase uh, corum Deo? It means in the presence of God. It means in the presence of God or before the face of God. That's the Christian's greatest desire is to live in his presence. In our daily walk, as you're going out and you're doing work and you're doing life, but also in our fellowship, that we have his presence with us. And his, he, he says in his word, where believers are gathered, where my word is honored, I am there. Amen? All right, so, so I, my hope and prayer, that is, as you've looked at these principles, I hope that uh, God has shown you this morning areas in your life where you are great in the kingdom of God. And kingdom of heaven. Praise the Lord. Continue to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And maybe the Holy Spirit has shown you this morning there's areas where you need to improve on. That's where you need to go to the gym. That's where you need to go to the gym and work out. Go to your local gym. It's located at your, by your bedside table inside the Bible. Go to the gym and work out. So summarizing, being great in the kingdom of heaven, according to Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 20. Number one, you must be born again. You must receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and be a committed follower of him. You must be born again. Secondly, childlike faith. You gotta have childlike faith. You can't, we, we can't be Mr. Smarty Pants. We can't think we're smarter than God. We have to humbly submit. As a little child follows mom and dad, so as we as children of God follow our heavenly father. Number three, sanctification. Sanctification, that's a big theological word that means what? Growing. It means growing, being set apart, building, building your walk with Christ, growing in, in maturity. You, you got to do it. You got to get in the gym to do it. And then number four is you care for people. You care for people, and part of caring for people is reaching out to those who have fallen away. And always, 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 do not be a Pharisee. Do not be a judgmental Pharisee. Do it in a spirit of humility and gentleness and watch the results. Do it in a spirit of gentleness and humbleness. At least for me, if you see me doing something wrong, man, if you come to me with the right body posture and you're not, you're not 
hammering me and wanting to throw me under the bus, but I see a genuine love for me, man, I'll be like, yeah, man, thank you. I appreciate that. There's nothing more loving than, than to go to a brother or sister in Christ if you see them doing something that's dangerous or sinful and saying, hey, you know, you need to take, you need to take a close look at that. Amen? So let's be great in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Wait till next week. Next week, man, we're going to be looking at the importance of forgiveness. I almost taught this whole chapter this morning, but as I got into the second half of, of Matthew chapter uh, 18, and please read ahead, it's just a beautiful passage on forgiveness. So next Sunday's message, the importance of forgiveness. The importance of being a, a forgiving person. So if you know anybody that struggles in the area of forgiving others, please invite them next Sunday. It's going to be an amazing message on forgiveness. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning, Father. Thank you for Matthew chapter 18. God, we, uh, we just love you and we praise you. Father, give us all childlike faith. Give us all childlike faith. And Father, help us to get into our spiritual gyms and to work out in your word, in prayer, in fellowship, and help us, Lord, to grow in our love and our commitment to you. And then, Father, out of that, Father, each and every one of us, Lord, give us a heart for people. Give us a heart for Christians. Give us a heart for atheists. Give us a heart for all the people that's in our sphere of influence, all of them, inside the church, outside the church, Christian and non-Christian. Give us a heart like the heart that you had where we reach out to all people. We love you, Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you for the study this morning. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. If you're here and you need special prayer during this final closing song, um, we'll have two ladies on one side, two men on the other side. If you need special prayer, please give us the opportunity to pray for you. Love you guys. Have a blessed week, and um, we'll see y'all this Wednesday and um, next Sunday. God bless. Well, God promises to give us wisdom if we ask him. So if there's any part of this, any part of the word that was shared, feel like, man, I don't even know what to do uh, to move forward in this area or how to apply it. You know, God says he will, he will guide us. He will give us that wisdom. So that's kind of the, the focus of this. So if you want to cry out these words with us, God, we do ask you that you would give us wisdom, that you'd give us vision, help us to see things the way you see them.
God, we love you. We declare that one more time. We just declare our, our love for you this morning. We thank you that you are our strength, that you are our shield, that you are our rock, and that we can lean on you. And so this week, we're going to lean on you. We're going to trust you for every breath with every step we take. Jesus, we look to you and we lean on you because you are faithful and true. And so we thank you for it and we give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. All right, well, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. We bless you in Jesus' name. Go and walk in his truth and his strength. And we will see you again very soon.